Good evening, football fans, and welcome to the Criterion Draft. Uh, this is our mildly pleased event where we review 30 movies, uh, one a day, for the month of July. Uh, and we like to get a head start on that by, uh, by doing a draft around the time of the NFL Draft. So that we have enough time to see these movies and, and write our reviews. Uh, it's, not, it's not a luxury we've ever taken advantage of. I, d- I haven't done it in the past. I think the first year I was kind of serious about it. So I watched like three or four movies before the month began. And last year I watched maybe like one or two okay. <laughs> before July. Anyway, I should say uh, we are the, the core Molly Please team. Sean Lemmy. John Otney. And Colin Westman. And um, this is our third time doing this, although it feels like more because we've also done Shocktober drafts. Uh, and yeah, and we a Shocktober did, uh, Criterion draft. <laughs> criterion Shocktober. So it's technically our fourth Criterion draft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get into it, Sean, I want to ask you, is this getting easier or harder for you as we go on? It's getting harder for me. It's getting harder because I would think it would be getting easier. I only have... Um, one movie on my list this time that's from a list of the greatest movies of all time <laughs> and it's not one i know really anything about the list of the greatest what list is this are we referring to the one you get when you search google greatest movies of all time <laughs> <laughs> i think sean's just talking about a general like it's, it's like on lists. Yeah, it's, it's just on like list. it's the list. It's movie. talked about on lists. How many list makers do i got on mine? Not many. This isn't really a list maker year. Um because I went for kind of a different... I went for a little bit of a hook this year. It's not that crazy. Because last year I did every movie was a different decade. No, I think that's what I did. Every movie was a different decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this year... Um, and hopefully this will not get fucked up too much as we go on. <laughs> we'll be uh, first-time filmmakers. So it'll be director's mm-hmm. first films. I got a couple of those. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've it's already hard because we've done some in the past, you know, stuff like I think Four Hundred Blows may have been Truffaut's first film, and some other films we've done in the past have been uh, first films. Multiple Maniacs. Multiple Maniacs has been has <laughs> been done for Criterion Month. Beloved film. But I have a lot of backups, so I'm ready. Uh, but it may, may turn out to be a pretty weird one for me. Um, hmm. And Sean, it sounds like you're just kind of working your way down the giant list. Yeah, I have, you know. Movies that I feel like I should have seen a long time ago, and also um, just a few, a couple movies that I'm just interested in, um, that I've just heard of, or in a, in two cases, because they're by directors I'm familiar with, and I wanted to go back and see their first movie, because it's in the Criterion Collection. That's great. What about you, Colin? Do you have a strategy? Uh, I think I just, my strategy was kind of a mix of yours the last two years where and also just kind of going for a general variety of movies just like a variety of countries i think i only did one per country and and variety of decades i think there's only one decade on my list of picks that is a double and uh you know trying to get a fair number of female directors in there too. I actually thought about trying to do just all women directors, but I don't know. <laughs> I think I was afraid John might pick that as a theme because John loves his themes. So many themes are on the table. I should also mention that um, part of the timing of us doing this podcast, 
well, it's Avengers Endgame, obviously. We're trying to elevate the discourse while everyone goes to see the dumbest movie ever made. But also, um, <laughs> the Criterion Channel just launched. Oh, and yeah. and oh, yeah. so for me, that was a big motivating factor in my decisions was, can I watch it on the Criterion Channel without having to go spend $40 on Blu-ray? Cause we, I think we probably got a little scared when uh, Filmstruck uh, went out of business uh late last year because we were probably thinking how are we going to do Criterion Month but then I think it's maybe just a couple weeks after uh, Filmstruck went under they announced the Criterion Channel I haven't, thankfully I haven't really taken a look at the Criterion Channel does it look pretty good does it look pretty much the same but I assume they've got to start you know from the bottom though and work their way up yeah, yeah. it's definitely the same thing where it's like they got a lot of the Criterion catalog. They just don't have all of it, and I'm not really sure why some movies are available and some are not. I'm sure it just has to do with copyright issues. In, in the lead-up to the network's launch, they were doing like a come-by once a week. We'll have one movie you can stream. Mm. Um, and now that the site's launched, they seem to still be sort of trying to make it like event-based um so like they have like an agnes varda thing going on right now on the site where you can browse through a bunch of her movies and they're all plastered over the front page and they have a bunch of behind behind the scenes stuff along with that too so i wonder how how much the the catalog will change over time or Mm. if that's just they're just trying to feature stuff but they're going to just keep adding and not take stuff away I think that's one of my favorite things about Filmstruck and what it sounds like this channel is doing too is like special features in addition to the movies, which is something that a lot of streaming services don't have. Mm-hmm. But like if yeah. you if you're a cinephile, you love that stuff. You love to hear about how stuff's made or its historical significance. Um, or you can come and listen to this podcast and get all you know learn about these movies because oh, yeah. we're gonna know so much. We've all done our research. We're already experts on these movies we've not seen. This is such a weird podcast to do because we're asked to talk about movies that we haven't seen, so we don't know it. It's like it's about like when them. we do our most anticipated movies list, yeah. except some movies came out like, like 60, 70 years well, ago. Maybe we'll enjoy it. I don't know. I haven't seen it. You know, for me, when in doubt, I'm gonna defer to you, Kong, because I assume that you've seen a chunk of these. So, uh, maybe at least some of them you've seen some of mine for sure <laughs> all right i'll i'll try to give you the down low <laughs> i'm gonna savor it just like i'm gonna savor sean's first pick yeah well you got me on my toes now so i, I feel like i gotta <laughs> i gotta do the one, one of the debuts i don't care about and i think you care even less about um so you're not gonna choose that one but the other one maybe would make your cut i don't think so mm-hmm. but maybe just in case i want to make it my first pick to block you okay and that is the virgin suicides sofia coppola's first film from 1999 it was on my list it was on oh got it shit sorry <laughs> um you got some overlap so uh, i am obviously a, a big fan of um lost in translation but i've not spent any time or effort to go watch her other movies whenever i'm in that mood i just watch lost in translation again and so i want to see more of her films and this was the uh the first thing she made it's based on a book about uh, a couple of sisters one of whom had attempted suicide and how her uh her parents are overreacting to uh to her behavior uh, and it's also about uh, a group of um, boys in the neighborhood who are interested in these girls and their story. 
and uh, I, know, I know it has a reputation for being a good high school film, uh, but mostly I'm just trying to see those Sofia Coppola movies now, finally. Which ones have you seen? Is it just Lost in Translation? It's just Lost in Translation. Yeah, I don't really know where I stand on Sofia Coppola. I think I like her. Because I saw, I, I feel like somewhere, it's not like a bad movie, but that's kind of like the most cliche, like, it's like a Sofia Coppola impression of a movie. <laughs> But then, like, I saw, like, The Beguiled from, you know, just a few years ago. And I thought that was really great mm-hmm. and looked fantastic. I love for those long, sterile shots she always does. And sometimes it'll be, like, a slow zoom. Um, everything's, like, super precise and well-framed. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I'll have to watch it, too, because I, I wanted to watch it. It was on my list. Um, it was, keyword. And I assume it's going to be pretty sad. I don't, know how much, I don't know how much you read about it. Just that... Brief synopsis. Okay, don't again. read anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got James Woods. Oh no! Everybody loves him. <laughs> but this is before like we knew what James Woods was. <laughs> Everyone the still loved him. Funny Family Guy. Yeah, yeah, he's in Hercules. Do you think James Woods could get cast in a Hercules movie today? No, I don't think he could cast it much today. <laughs> Maybe God's not an dead. American Six. Carol too. Yeah. Oh, he was in American Carol 1, wasn't he? Nice. Well, uh, I think we're just going to go clockwise from me, so that makes Colin picker number two. Okay. Uh, my first pick is... I don't know if it's on a lot of lists of the greatest movies of all time, but it seems like one of the more influential movies um, ever made. It's called Rome Open City. It's a Roberto Rossellini movie. I feel like it's usually kind of credited as being like the first neorealist Italian movie. Um, I know we've talked about, I guess, a couple of Vittorio De Sica movies, uh, Bicycle Thieves and Umberto D, which mm-hmm. was, you know, he was part of that that Italian neorealist movement. And uh, I don't know. I don't know much about this movie. I, it sounds interesting just on the fact that it's about uh, Nazi occupation of Rome, and it clearly was filmed like not long after, since it was uh, released in 1945. Uh, yeah, I don't know. How the fuck did you get this movie? I've never even heard of this. Uh, I, I, I guess just Roberto Rossellini is just a uh, director I've heard of for a long time. Never seen any I've of his seen movies. He's done. Okay. Yeah, neither have I. Is this his best? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> uh, for what it's worth, if you look up Italian neorealism, the like Wikipedia picture is a still from Rome, <laughs> Open City. So, yeah, must be pretty legit. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, also, uh, one of Pope Francis's favorite movies <laughs> says that on the Wikipedia. What do you think Pope Francis' other favorite movies are? Um, Rush Hour. Rush Hour? Yeah. It's <laughs> a good one. It's for the most part family fun. Is Rush Hour rated R? That's PG-13. Not that the Pope can't like... Uh, it must be. I can't imagine it being R. I'm surprised if, it could be PG for all I know. Well, it's like, you know, back in the 80s, there's lots of comp buddy cop movies that were R for some reason. Yeah. I feel like Lethal Weapon's gotta be R. 
Man, yeah, definitely there's definitely a fuck or two in there. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know how many fucks are in Rome up yeah. in the city. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just going to be interested to see how many movies of mine you guys have heard of. <laughs> Last year, I feel like you, you probably had two that I was like, oh, no, I don't know, I don't know. Like, yeah. I can say, like, maybe I've heard the title, but really, I don't know it. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, at this point, I, I've seen a lot of the, the bigger name Criterion movies, and so I just have to look for fairly obscure things that pique my interest. Yeah, I'm certainly... I guess you can, like, be, like, rest easy knowing, like, we're not going to pick that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not really that worried about it. <laughs> okay, on to me. Uh, what's funny about my first pick is it's a movie I didn't even know existed until this year, and then suddenly it's in the Criterion Collection. Mm. And that's the debut from Susan Seidelman, Smithereens. It's a punk rock movie. I'm just gonna. I'm literally just gonna read off the Wikipedia because yeah, who am I trying to fool? <laughs> Come follows a narcissistic young woman from New Jersey who comes to New York City to join the punk subculture, only to find that it's gravitated towards Los Angeles. And then kooky stuff happens. Uh, it's got Richard Hell in it mm-hmm. acting, which is cool. Uh, music is by the Feelies. Well, there's one other thing that was interesting about it. Oh, it was the first American independent film invited to compete for the Palme d'Or at Cannes, which is weird because it doesn't sound like the kind of movie that would like a punk rock movie from the early '80s. I've actually seen this movie. How did you see it? Uh, I probably just heard about it this year, (laughs) and then I watched it on. I guess it would have been Filmstruck in the final days of Filmstruck. Well, I saw it on the Criterion channel. Yeah. But I saw that the the Criterion uh, Blu-ray is, like, new. Like, it, it just came out or it's coming out. Or it's it's pretty recent, so... I think it must have come out last year, because I'm was pretty sure I watched it on Filmstruck. Let's... Well, new-ish. Yeah. But, uh... Because I thought this, I I picked it first. I thought there was an outside chance this might be one you pick, and you've seen it. So. Yeah, so I'm, I got no need. Yeah, but I didn't know it. that you'd seen it. Yeah, you certainly didn't review it on. Uh... I think I did review it on Letterboxd. You did? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. He's, he's such a just, of just snuck in. Does he have a picture? Oh yeah. <laughs> I guess I should put a picture on my profile Letterboxd. It's easy to overlook. It came out. Yeah, it was August. Last August is when it came out in Criterion. Okay. It's probably around when I saw it. <laughs> well, Chris Noth as transvestite prostitute in van. Wow. I don't think I caught that. I watched it. It's his yeah. third role. It's, a, uh, it's definitely a movie that like has no plot at all, but uh, like it's it's got some fun characters. And just like, I think... I saw some behind the scenes thing of it where they just like found, you know, abandoned places in New York City because New York City was such like a crumbling hellhole in the late 70s, early 80s. And that's just, I don't know, fun to see New York at that time. And it fit my criteria. Like the Warriors. Yeah, like the Warriors time. (laughs) Back in the time of the Warriors. Um, so it's back to me and for my second pick it really seems like a movie we would have talked about at some point uh, I'm going to choose Hiroshima Mon Amour the uh, French 
So I've, I've been hitting the French New Wave pretty hard this past <laughs> couple years. Yeah. And there's a movement within that called Left Bank, um, which were like a group of filmmakers within the French New Wave that thought the mainstream French New Wave guys were too commercial, which is crazy <laughs> to think. Um, mm-hmm. But that's like like Agnes Varda is part of that yeah. left bank movement. And uh, so is director Elaine Rena. I don't know. I think it's Rene. Rene, um, who, who directed this movie uh, about a, um, I believe it's a French woman and a Japanese man who... Um, form a couple and have a conversation. I don't know if the whole movie's a conversation or if it's if there's more to it. Um, but it's according to Wikipedia, uh, influential for its use of uh, flashback to tell a nonlinear story. Um, and also, I just like I am very amused by the idea that there were filmmakers who were like these French guys. They're so commercial. <laughs> They're just in it for the money. So we'll see. Another one of my picks. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's his debut. We was mostly did. We mostly made short films like Night and Fog, Hmm. which is also in the Criterion Collection, despite the fact it's a short. Hmm. Sorry, man. Going for you hard this year, John. (laughs) That's too bad because I have backups too, but I'm just crushing you into smithereens. You got it. Just, um, no, I'm just going through everything I have. <laughs> oh man, so this one, I don't even know why this next one is so high. <laughs> I can't even say the title, but I'll say the Americanized version of it. Uh, Gene Dealman, 23 Commerce Quay, 1080 Brussels is the name of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just. Uh, Chantel Ackerman is the director um, she is someone I'd heard of didn't really know anything about this movie is very long sounds like kind of slow but I guess I was just intrigued by it um, a few months ago IndieWire came out with a list of I think it was the 100 greatest films directed by women and this movie was number one and I'd never really heard of it um so I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. It's got Delphine Seerig, who was in a movie that I reviewed for last October. Uh, what was it called? Daughters of Darkness, I think. I think that's what it was called. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, looking through Wikipedia. There's so many hard words. <laughs> I know. That's a Belgian movie. Yep. I guess keeping with my theme. Yeah, try, Daughters of Darkness. Trying to keep it... Uh, a nice mix of different countries that perhaps I have not seen films from before. Wait, where was it from? Belgium. Belgium. Yeah, this other movie I watched, Daughters of Darkness, is also a Belgian mm-hmm. movie. I remember in my review, I was like, this, this is like, this sounds like really like grindhousey, but this should be in the Criterion Collection. Yeah. All right. Belgium's got some stuff to say, guys. <laughs> it's got Jean Claude Van Damme. Hell yeah. <laughs> is Delphine Seerig actually. So she's not even Belgian, is she? I don't know. It seems like she's kind of from everywhere. Mm-hmm. 
But she's really good in that movie. Yeah. She didn't have to be. <laughs> and this movie sounds like she has to be. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like, like it's just it. all her for like three hours. <laughs> yeah, what's the runtime on that? Uh, 201 minutes. Oh, boy. It's really the only, fun. <laughs> the only really super long one. I am afraid it could be a slog. <laughs> I'm not into it, but we'll see. Is that the longest movie you've ever done for the Criterion Month? Of anyone? Has anyone done anything? I feel that like long? it's gotta be. Solaris was so long, but I don't know if it's that long. It was, yeah. Stalker was really long. Yeah. Yee was pretty long. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it was just like yeah, was 190 or something. Yeah. Solaris is 166. So I, I think this is the longest movie we've done yet. Okay, my number two is a pretty famous movie that I just, I don't know, slipped through the cracks. And now it's in the Criterion Collection, which is very convenient for me. It's Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Nice. Which, I've always been intrigued. I haven't seen, I haven't seen it, but I've always been intrigued by the fact that this seemed like, it seemed like this in particular was the film that launched that, like, indie filmmaker revolution that happened in the 90s with like Tarantino I mean Do the Right Thing I guess would have come out the same year it's not like it's not like one film started a whole movement but it's certainly like one of like the it's like the poster child I feel like for that movement where like people are making these indie films that could be like huge hits you know I think that's super cool and I know for a fact you've seen it I don't know for a fact but I know no I've I've seen it (laughs) it's been a while but uh yeah. I didn't even look at the plot. I, was, I just assumed the title gives you everything you need to know. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> really? What does the videotape give you? I can't remember. Something, stuff, something yeah. having to do with like interviews on videotape, I think. Oh, like Reality Bites? Is, uh, is this uh, Maybe. a movie that features creepy James Spader? Uh, I don't think so. I feel like he started to make the transition in his career to playing mostly creepy guys. Yeah. There's a part where he, like, in his career where he's still like, oh, he's boyishly handsome and, and sweet, like in Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> that is his character type, but it's a weird example. Yeah. Because now I feel like James Spader only plays creeps. Creeps are like just villains. Just villains, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, I think some of my backups are uh, first time <laughs> directed movies if you need any suggestions I have a whole list it's, 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 the thing is it's not that I don't have backups it's like how many of the backups can I get excited about yeah alright uh, Sean what is your next one it's the next one I wanted to talk about it's definitely not his first film. It's his last film. So we should be good. Um, it's a movie called Come and See. It's a Soviet film from 1985. Either of you guys hear this one? No. I haven't. <laughs> this is just me Googling things the podcast. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's it's the one this year that's like one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. My favorite genre, Soviet war tragedy film. Wow. Yeah, so it's about um, uh, I think a Nazi invasion of Belarus 
uh, told from the point of view of a young man who escapes and tries to join the gorillas and then comes back and sees a lot of horrors and all that fun Soviet stuff. How the hell do you come to picking something like Come and See? Mm. Um, you search for what are the best movies of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you end up on a Wikipedia page called List of Films Considered the Best. Mm-hmm. You start going through which one of those are also on the Criterion Channel service. <laughs> It just, I don't know. I would, this like seems like the kind of movie I would never want to see just because it sounds like the fucking biggest downer of downers. Uh, Roger Ebert described it as one of the most devastating films ever about anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, damn, man. Have fun with that. (laughs) I will. It's directed by. Elam Klimov, who, like I said, this was his last movie. It is kind of interesting to see art that comes out during the time of like some sort of a government oppression, you know, in, in it's, you know, like the Soviet reign or like, I watched that film a couple of years ago, Spirit of the Beehive, that was going on during like, when there's like dictators in Spain and shit. Like, it's crazy that that stuff gets made and comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fascinated with the like, the mindset that seems to be behind so many Soviet films about suffering and <laughs> the meaninglessness of life. Um, I just want it to not also be very long and boring. <laughs> Which, if this is the most devastating movie ever made, it's not going to be boring, at least. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be engaged and devastated, hopefully. Uh, my next movie, I think John has seen. It's uh, With Nail and I. Yes. Yeah. It's been a while, yes. Uh, you know, I, I've just always kind of wanted to see it, and this year especially, because uh, Richard E. Curtis was in uh, Can You Ever Forget Give Me last year, and I really liked him in that movie. I really liked seeing him get nominated for an Oscar after a long and interesting career that I don't know if I've seen a, a ton of, but uh sounds like it was kind of his first like big movie and uh i'm just interested i feel like this is a really weird movie i don't yeah. remember if i even liked it <laughs> sounds like it it's just a little too abstract but yeah it sounds like just it's just absurd. two guys drinking a lot yeah <laughs> though it did have paul mcgann do you guys know what i know paul mcgann for sean do you know paul no. mcgann he was the eighth doctor who but he mm. only did a made-for-TV movie, <laughs> and that counted. That counts. He was like a really like snooty doctor, <laughs> but he had like beautiful locks of hair. That was like ninety-five, I think. I saw him like Fox. I feel like it's weird. Yeah. I haven't seen. Whatever happened to Paul McGann? Mm. Oh. It seems like with Neon Eye and Doctor Who are his two big, his two big things. Oh, sweet. Does that have Richard Griffiths? See, I don't even remember it. I think I said Richard E. Curtis. is Richard E. Grant. Is it Richard Curtis? Is he that shitty guy? Yeah, he's the also, guy. also British. Also British. <laughs> Richard's a really British name. Yeah. Richard. Richard. He's just going to be dick if you're an American, usually. Usually. Oh, yeah. 
You mean, you know, Richard Gere is different. He's like fancy. He's <laughs> fancy got the locks. American. Yeah, he's just like so dashing. Yeah. You can be Dick Gear. <laughs> Dick Gear. <laughs> <laughs> or Rick Gear. Rick, Rick Gear sounds pretty sweet. That sounds like he's in the Suicide Squad. <laughs> gear. He like he makes weapons out of gears. Yeah. Anything that has a gear, I can do. <laughs> Ready, Sean? Looks like you're thinking hard over there. I feel like we're playing, like, Battleship. Isn't it your turn? (laughs) Oh, it is my turn. Shit. Yep. Uh, What, round three? Uh, Yeah. Oh, you know, this this is kind of... I don't know if it segues well into mine, but it feels like like akin in a way. My number three... It wasn't originally my number three, but now it's my number three, is uh, Shallow Grave, which is Mm. the directorial debut of Danny Boyle. It's got Christopher Eccleston... What? I was like, whoa. Uh, Christopher Eccleston, also a Doctor Who. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie Fox, and of course, uh, Danny Boyle's go-to guy, Ewan McGregor. And it's about three friends that discover their new flatmate is dead, but has a bunch of money, and they're going to have to cover it up. It's a black comedy. I don't really know much about it. The cover of the Criterion is like a bunch of hammers and stuff, and like shovels. Like, makes me think that there's going to be some pretty sneaky stuff going on. (laughs) And I've, I've liked... Almost every Danny Boyle movie I've seen, even though he's made some like bad movies, I feel like, or not, like not bad as much as just like, why did you want to make that? Um, like, oh, maybe his upcoming movie <laughs> with Yesterday, written by Richard Curtis or whatever. <laughs> so many connections. Yeah, uh, what, what? I forgot that Danny Boyle's directing that. I th- well, I think so. Yeah. Are you sure it's not just directed by Richard Curtis? I'm not sure, but Danny Boyle's got to have something to do after I'm getting fired sure, off of James Bond. I'm pretty sure he directed it. I think John's right. That's yeah, Danny Boyle. That seems that does seem bizarre. weird because Danny Boyle not always because he's made some, but most of his movies are fairly edgy, you know, or kind of more cynical. Where I feel like Richard Curtis is the least cynical writer director that exists. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird mix of personalities, but. Um, a big Danny Boyle fan. I feel like I'm. I've seen almost all of his movies. I'm getting there. There's definitely some weird ones like Millions that I've never seen, or A Life Less Ordinary, where like Ian McGregor's like an angel. I think. Hmm. What do you guys? What's your favorite? What's your favorite? What, Danny was, what was that? Like art thief movie that he made. Trance. Trance. Yeah. James McAvoy. That's like yeah. probably pretty shitty. Maybe. My favorite Danny Boyle. Probably just Trainspotting. Oh, and the same writer, Trainspotting, John Hodge. Yeah. yeah did, uh, wrote Trainspotting and wrote Shallow Graves. So close to John Hodgman. What about you, Sean? Is Sunshine, is that your favorite? I think so. I can't think of another one that I like more right now, so... I think I've actually grown to really appreciate 28 Days Later. And just think about how different all of these are. <laughs> Interesting. I still gotta see Trainspotting 2. Oh, yeah. T2. They T2. That. I can't believe they call it T2. <laughs> They're like, fuck it, we're calling it T2. It <laughs> does seem really weird. <laughs> but really interesting career. Um, okay, so my next selection is, I think, our first year double dip. Uh, I'm also picking a movie from 1945, uh, the same year that Rome Open City came out. So my selection is a David Lean film called Brief Encounter which 
pretty sure we haven't done before. No. Um, so I really like the two David Lean films that I've seen, which are The Bridge on the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia. It's nothing like this. <laughs> and well, but I, but I'm like I should see more of this guy's movies, and yeah. it seems like the third choice is either Doctor Zhivago or Brief Encounter. And when you look at the runtime, it's not even a choice. <laughs> it's got to be Brief Encounter, which is, is not even that long. I think it was like 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, but it's just a it's a it's a romance movie, right? Yeah, it's like forbidden romance. It's Ooh. basically like the British version of In the Mood for Love. Oh, nice. Well, I like that movie a lot, too. Yeah. And it's just like, they're not allowed to be in love during World War Two. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> not enough fun stuff happening during World War II. Is there World War Two comedies? To be or not to be. There you go. That was quick. Uh, there's a reason that came to mind. <laughs> uh-huh. it has to do with the Wikipedia page I'm currently looking at. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that smart. Um, so have you seen this one, John? No, I've all, I've, all, I've gotten so close so many times because it's it's short. And like, yeah. Yeah. It's got a nice lean runtime. Nice brief <laughs> runtime. I just looked up Dr. Javago. It is 120 minutes longer. Yeah. Longer. <laughs> longer. It's a full movie longer than this movie. <laughs> so, yeah. Before he got into the sweeping epics. I love that it's 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 shortish, too, and it's called A Brief Encounter. Because I yeah. would hate it if it was called Brief Encounter. It was like 800 minutes <laughs> Um. Yeah. Looking forward to that one. And, I, and I'll probably get to go pretty early because it doesn't seem like we're going to have a lot before 1945 this month. But maybe. Well, Sean, yeah. you'll be interested to know my next pick is from 1936. Nice. It's uh, called My Man Godfrey. It's oh. a screwball comedy. And, you know, I just like... <laughs> classic Hollywood movies from the 30s and 40s and 50s Um, but there aren't a lot that I haven't seen this one I actually rented on Netflix disc once but I think this movie has at different times been in the public domain and I rented some disc put out by like a shitty like (laughs) off-brand crappy DVD (laughs) distribution company and I started watching it and like the print looked so bad that I just like I can't watch this so I I have never seen the rest of this movie apart from like the first two minutes Um, it stars uh, William Powell who's uh, I guess most famous for the Thin Man movies I've only seen the first one and it also has Carol Lombard who I'm intrigued by because I've only seen her in To Be or Not To Be and I remember liking her in that and she's kind of known as being like one of the the best of like the screwball comedy actresses but she died in 1942 in a plane crash so her career was definitely cut short um so yeah i'm just interested to see more of her because there's not that much of her um uh so yeah i don't know i think it's about a butler or something (laughs) it's it's just like that kind of classic like uh lowbrow beats highbrow um situation that you usually find in these screwball comedies that are usually like poking fun at the upper class i don't know yeah i get it man 
Yeah. <laughs> I saw the importance of being earnest. Yes, you did. Uh, John, are you ready for your next? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, no reason for build up at Slacker, man. It's over nice. there, right? It's on our shelf. Don't you have it? No, I don't. Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> Damn it, Colin. I thought you probably had this. You've, you've seen it. I've seen it twice. Okay. Twice? <laughs> wow. Twice. This is a Wait. scene twice. Which yeah. movie is this one? Slacker. The, it's so obvious that Colin's seen it. Well, because I like Richard Linklater. Uh, it's like his first The movie. Brit Richard Linklater, right? Because his name Richard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, an American Richard. Uh, so sophisticated. I've seen the, the opening scene. Or at least, isn't it the opening scene with Richard Linklater in the car? Yeah. And that was pretty funny. I was like, this sounds like a good time. I'm going to enjoy this when someday, when I watch the rest of it. I don't know why I always have that one scene. <laughs> I love even looking at the cast. Richard Linklater is credited, at, credited as... Should have stayed at the bus station. <laughs> Just his character name, according to this. Yeah. It's people like slacking off Austin, right? It's twenty three thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I guess the the gimmick of it is like there's a scene and there's a character in it who like walks off into like another scene and then like has a scene with that another group of characters and then you see another character from that scene go off and do another like little thing so it's composed basically of a bunch of vignette vignettes like, like the 22 or 23 short films about springfield it's like basically it's exactly like that yeah. except austin in <laughs> the early 90s i'm reading ufo buff jfk conspiracy theorist yeah there's all the has. crazy shit falling out of richard linklater's mind yeah no it's got a bunch of that stuff that he's great at where it's just characters having these long conversations about very esoteric and i'm sure films like uh sex lies and videotape will pave the way for stuff like this to be on a bigger stage maybe not i mean only came out the year like the year after you know premiered in austin 90 and then had wide release in 91 it definitely seems like part of that movement paving the way for clerks Clerks. You know, do you think career. do you think Clerks deserves to be in the Criterion Collection? Is it Chasing Amy? It's is not, but I guess of Chasing. Amy is. I watched Clerks a couple years ago, and it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's I think it, I think it would deserve to be in the Criterion Collection. I wouldn't be against it. I it's so crazy because I feel like Kevin Smith, who I love, I, I like he's just such a funny, nice guy. But I feel like he's forgotten how to make films, and his current films are so bad. It's crazy to think yeah. that he made those films in the nineties. Yeah. Um, but maybe he'll, he's a new man now, you know. He had that heart attack yeah. and he lost all the weight and he went vegan. And he, he, they are doing a new James Clint Bob. Making a new James Clint <laughs> Bob sequel. Straight to Criterion. Straight, Straight to Criterion. <laughs> Here we go. Looking forward to it. Um, I'm really looking forward to my next selection because it's a movie I'm very aware of having seen like the documentary now parody of it. It's Greg Gardens, the story hmm. of um, two older women. Uh, I, th- I think they're a mother-daughter pair, right? Uh, who are living in poverty in a rundown mansion uh, somewhere in America. I assume the East Coast. I feel like it was Massachusetts. I, don't know. I think it's somewhere in New England. New England, New York, somewhere. I just feel like they were somehow they were somehow connected to the Kennedys or something. Yeah, good shit. So I guess it was New York. All right. Um, 
and yeah, like I said, I've seen like the documentary now parody. I've seen um, the Queen of Versailles documentary, which I think is sort of like a contemporary documentary that does sort of the same thing, showing rich people not be rich for a little bit as their life falls apart. But it seems so much more extreme from from what I know about the state of Grey Gardens versus that movie. Yeah, because you're kind of like pitying them in Grey Gardens, but in Queen of Versailles, you're just like, God, these people are the fucking worst. Yeah. Eat them. <laughs> so there we go. That's I'm halfway through my picks. Colin, you want to know what that feels like? I guess I'll see you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a weird question. Uh, mine is called Monsoon Wedding, uh, directed by Mir Nair. I wanted to do a movie somewhat recent because a lot of mine are older. It's from 2001. Um, I've seen Mir Nair's first movie, which I don't believe is on Criterion. Uh, I watched in a f- film class in uh, college where we, like each week we would dissect the career of one director and we did her for some reason, I think as a teacher just wanted to do at least one woman director and um she's had an interesting career it seems like what film did you watch in the class uh salam bombay bombay um i've never heard of that either yeah she directed that Amelia Earhart biopic from a few years ago Uh, you know people in my family think we're related to Amelia Earhart I didn't know bullshit. that. Are you? I doubt it. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're like, oh, I, I'm Lloyd Amor the Lincoln. Yeah. Tangent. Continue. I didn't really have anything more to say. You know, I guess I... I, uh, you know, just nice to get an Indian film in here that isn't a Satyajit Ray movie. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, afraid. I can't think of a lot Sean. of more recent Indian movies that aren't like a Bollywood movie. So yeah. it's kind of interesting to see that. Exists. I don't even remember this Amelia Earhart movie. It's from 10 Paris years ago. It's only like, we're going to win some Oscars. And it's like, uh oh. <laughs> Richard Gere is in this. Dick Gere. Dick Gere. Or Rick Gere. Whichever so you many Richards. <laughs> oh, he also directed that, uh, or she directed, Rear Nair did that, the namesake movie with Cal Penn. Oh, uh, yeah. Always yeah, wanted yeah, to see yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I hear yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Queen of Conway. Uh, I was like, that was a pretty relevant reason. Happy to hear that Irfan Khan is doing well after his sickness. Oh, yeah, that was, that's fucked up. Uh, Famously plays Richard Parker. <laughs> Wait. Did he? No, he no, didn't. Did. He, that just, the he, he just talks about Richard Parker in two different movies. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah! Two different fuck? movies. Amazing Spider-Man and Life of Pi. Richard, the Richard Parker connection. I should make a letterbox list of movies featuring the name Richard Parker. <laughs> just like I, I currently have a list of movies where they sort of put cocaine in the toilet, and that's two movies. It's just Goodfellas and that Kevin Bacon cop car movie. <laughs> I need more. I bet there's more. If you're listening and you have Letterboxd and you know of movies where they put cocaine in the toilet, find my profile and send me a message. My favorite Letterboxd list was um, movies where the protagonist just flies the fuck away at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a long list. Oh, so I many movies. It was super long. <laughs>
Okay, my next movie is a movie that um, my buddy Michael was always trying to get me to watch. He, was, he suggested any time we were going to sit down to watch a movie, it was either this or Tabloid, the uh, Errol Morris documentary. Uh, it's Kicking and Screaming, Noah Baumbach. I've seen most of Noah Baumbach's movies, not all of them. I haven't seen Mario at the Wedding, but I've seen Squid and the Whale, and I saw that Adam Sandler, Dustin Hoffman one, and Francis Ha, and you know, all the, all the good stuff. For the most part, um, but yeah, this is just like what, just like disaffected college kids being like, "What the fuck do I do?" Right, Colin? Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, I know. I know. You've seen it. It's uh, yeah. I guess it's not surprising that Michael would recommend that because he's just like, I can relate to this so much right now. Because <laughs> yeah, so for you, buddy, it's just just college kids hanging out. Um, yeah, it's 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 all right. <laughs> I just, I just feel to see like it more as like a complete like I'm trying to see all of No Bomb Box. Movies. Yeah, it definitely feels like he's uh, uh, I don't know he hasn't quite found his voice and he's just like really into Wit Stillman <laughs> when he was making this movie, which who we'll maybe talk about later. Um, I'll just talk about that one next. Yeah, after this, I'll have seen every <laughs> Noah Bombach movie except for Margot at the Wedding. I'm so fucking close. No. Wait, no, what the fuck is this? Isn't no, there a movie called like Mr. Jealousy yeah, or something? Yeah. There's there's like three more. Yeah. Jump the gun on that one. Mm. What I found interesting about this movie is how it was funded. I thought it was kind of like a little fun fun fact. So Noah Baumbach's college roommate who produced the film got um, Steve Martin, who I guess was like <laughs> friends with his family, to endorse the script with like a letter, and then they sent that letter to I don't know some financier, and they're like, "We'll give you the money because Steve Martin says it's good," and that producer. <laughs> Jason Blum. So it's weird to think that Jason what? Blum, he, who is a producer on this movie, was college roommates with Noah Baumbach. Because, you know. <sighs> they, I don't think they've worked together since. It's weird. Because Jason Blum is like the horror king right now. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why. Because Noah Baumbach isn't making the kind of movies that he tends to produce. But I just thought that was crazy. Crazy connection. Makes me wonder if any of my college roommates are ever going to be so famous. Be nice. Probably not. Probably not. I can lend you money. <laughs> um, that's the best part. Hope, I don't think any of them knew Steve Martin though. Yeah, <sighs> that's really the trick. Although he's retired now, so it's hard to get much out of him. Do you think it's weird that there's that Will Ferrell movie with the exact same name? How did that? Uh, yeah. I guess they just didn't know <laughs> the movie yeah. existed. Not on their radar. Yeah, Will Ferrell's so powerful. They tell him you have the same titles of indie comedy from 10 years ago he just yeah backhands you <laughs> that's the real Will Ferrell I'll just, one more office. thing I want to point out how many Criterion films do you think have their Wikipedia picture the Criterion cover of the movie because King and Screaming has that I would probably guess it's probably not that many I mean from the Wikipedia-ing I've been doing so far yeah. not many not many because yeah. that's not the original poster must really suck I like this current poster the one they use for the Criterion cover I'm gonna look up kicking and screaming poster. <laughs> Sorry, not it's just the Will Ferrell one all over the place. Of yeah, course. Man. Yeah, not good. People love that shit. The other the other weird ones I'm finding are not good, so they they really knocked it out with this chalkboard thing. Okay. Um, so you guys set me up for two of my next picks, so I'll just go through them. Hell yeah. uh, the first one I'll talk about is Metropolitan. It's the debut from Whit Stillman, but. You knew I was going to put this on my list already, so I hope, hope that's okay. I didn't know what you are doing with that pile of 
DVDs near you. Uh, according to the back of the box, one of the great American independent films of the 1990s, writer-director Whit Stillman's surprise hit Metropolitan, is a sparkling comedic chronicle of a middle-class young man's romantic misadventures among New York City's debutante society. Stillman's deft, literate dialogue and hilariously highbrow observations earned this debut film an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Screenplay. Alongside the wit and sophistication, though, lies a tender tale of adolescent anxiety. Sounds like a Colin movie, but I probably will like it. Not Colin movies this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, this is definitely a movie I I like. Obviously, I bought it on DVD and show us reading from it. But I never, like, sought it out to, like, show you guys in, in like, a pick whenever we pick out which movie to watch just because, like... I could see you guys being like, I hate these characters so much because they're total like rich snobs. But like, I don't know. I don't feel like there's anything pretentious about the filmmaking here. It, it's clear that like, I don't know. But Stillman has some affection for these characters, even though some of them are super insufferable. Um, but yeah, I, I like it a lot. I have not seen it in a while, but I'd watch it again with you. Oh, and it's also it's nice to have another one that I can, you know, because this is part of like an informal trilogy, right? With Barcelona and Last Days of Disco. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's nice to have these ones where I can, I have a, an easy pick for the next two Criterion months. I guess it's also, I like a mo- it's also a movie I would have, I don't know, liked to show you at some point just because you can kind of feel that. Wes Anderson must have been influenced by mm. Whit Stillman just from like the way he writes dialogue. Well, there you go. Yeah, all those Wes Anderson movies are about rich people, and I like them. Yeah, <laughs> except for Bottle Rocket. Uh, Colin, back to you. Uh, I don't really know much about this movie. <laughs> oh God, we're gonna know even less. <laughs> It's uh, I you know, I just wanted to do one from the twenties and do a silent movie. Uh-oh. It's called Pandora's Box uh, by yeah. <laughs> Austrian filmmaker George Wilhelm Pabst. Uh, Great name, like Pabst Blue Ribbon. Oh yeah, is exactly. this the guy? Is this it's the, the inventor guy? of Pabst Blue Ribbon directed this movie? Uh, yeah, I don't know. The actress who stars in it was American though. Uh, which I guess is okay if you're acting a silent movie. Uh, She's acting silently in German. Yeah. It's just interesting hearing the plot description just in the first paragraph where it says, Brooks's portrayal of a seductive, thoughtless young woman whose raw sexuality and uninhibited nature bring ruin to herself and those who love her, which, I don't know, a sexually charged movie from the 20s doesn't sound very typical but you know it was pre Hayes Code so I guess you could get away with maybe some more suggestive things Um, so I'm interested to see what it is or is like (laughs) how did you find it yeah, that's, that's I think I always I just remembered it being in the book of a thousand and one movies to see before oh, you die. Yeah. It probably took up two pages in it, so I was just like, oh, oh okay, this must be, this must be some, some serious business here. That, that's really all I had. The, the printed equivalent of googling best movies of all time. Yeah, <laughs> flipping through one thousand one movies you must see before you die. Yep. Back to me. Indeed. Uh, I'd say there's a pretty good chance Colin's seen this. Okay. It's uh, 
Shadows, John Cassavetes. Yes. Yeah. I've seen it. I've never seen a John Cassavetes movie. I've seen him act in a couple things. Rosemary's Baby, that movie where he blew up, a couple other things. <laughs> He's actually a, uh, was in a really good movie with, uh, you know, I'll, I can't remember the name, so I'm going to talk about it another time. I don't know anything about the movie. I don't know that it's even the best introduction to John Cassavetes. I feel like I was looking at a list saying, like, don't start with Shadows. We'll start with one of the other ones first. But In my memory, this is my favorite of the John Cassavetes movies I've seen just because his movies sometimes bother me with just, like, how improvised and loose they feel like. Really one, one of his movies' uh, faces, it just feels like home movies to the point of it just being like uh, this isn't, I don't even feel like I'm watching a film like it's really boring to me but um, eh, I don't know I guess maybe A Woman Under the Influence is maybe the go-to but even that one like it's a little longer than it needs to be <laughs> but Shadows in my mind is like pretty solid and interesting for what it is um because I feel like some people credit it as being like the first independent American film ever made or something. What? And also like the first movie to use like a lot of improvisation. Now he doesn't have a role in this one, right? I don't think so. Did he act in many of his movies? Not really. I think he did in some, but not... I don't know if he has in any of the ones I've seen. I find that interesting when a director is well known as an actor but also when they when they, when they direct they don't they step away yeah. like not always but I feel like no, I was going to say George Clooney but then I started thinking of a couple where he's in he's in them <laughs> but uh, I think that's cool where they can like step away and let the other actors kind of do their thing yeah. even though like he's a very good actor himself the movie I was trying to remember that I'd seen him in um, not that it really has anything to do with anything aside from the fact that it's a movie that has John Cassavetes in it um, Mikey and Nikki recently entered the Criterion Collection, which yeah. is a really cool movie that I watched a couple of years ago with Peter Falk. It's like a kind of dark comedy gangster movie Elaine May directed. Yeah. It's very good. M- Emmett Walsh plays a cranky bus driver. Yeah, I thought about putting that one on my list. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Cool. So you guys are keeping track of like new Criterion releases. So. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting I'm when a, they I'm are the new ones. <laughs> I got. I don't got that kind of time. I got DVDs <laughs> sitting on my shelf that I still need to watch, like uh, my next pick, which also uh, Colin set up a little bit ago uh, by talking about seeing Indian movies that aren't directed by Satyajit Ray. Uh, I'm not interested in that because I got started on the Apu trilogy last year, and mm. I need to keep going uh, with Aparajito, the second Apu film. Nice. It is. Uh, it was controversial at the time because um, Satyajit Ray did not want to make a sequel to Pather Panchali when he made it, um, and so he ended up deviating from uh, the book, I think, considerably. Mm. Um, but uh, fortunately, people outside of India that have not read the book were all about it, and so um, you know, all three of these movies are considered really great um this is um i think fairly disconnected my understanding is that um you know the first one is about this character apu's childhood and the second one he's become a young man and then the third one he's a an adult so like they're different slices of this character's life that i think are pretty self-contained um 
but I, I found the, the first one like sneakily moving. I didn't realize how invested I was in it until bad things started to happen. Um, and so I, I'm definitely uh, have loftier expectations for the sequel. So we'll see. Cool. I think that's cool that you you've started the trilogy, and I assume next year you'll finish the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, per Sansar. Yeah. Cool. Uh, my next movie is a second film by a director. I thought about Ooh. choosing the director's first film, but I'm glad I didn't now. In case John chose that one, it's a uh, An Angel at My Table. It's a Jane Campion movie. I have not seen any of her movies. Uh, I feel like The Piano is her most famous okay. movie. It was like awesome. nominated for Oscars and stuff. But it's not on Criterion. Uh, this one is. It's a little longer. It's about some New Zealand writer that I uh, uh, never really heard of. But, uh, is this a New Zealand film? Yep. Jane Campion's from New Zealand, I cool. believe. Uh, yeah, that's right. I check, that that's out. all. That's all. Check it out. We all Wikipedia this basic information. <laughs> I didn't. I'd ask. All right. Well, yeah. I don't know. I just. And I guess another recurring thing for my uh, Criterion months is I usually try to do directors that I, I just haven't seen movies by. So is this like a uh, Michael thing, where like an angel comes to live with people? <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> It doesn't sound like there are actual angels in this movie, but or wait. Do you think any John yeah, Travolta movies are in the Criterion Collection? John Travolta? What about Blow Out? Blow Out, yeah, it is. And that's all that's coming to mind. Alright. Are we back to me? Yep. All right. Uh, this is one of my um, replacement films. I I still have some that are picks, but I'm I'm just so not worried about them that I buried <laughs> them lower down on the list. Uh, and it is the debut film from someone who wasn't didn't normally direct. It's um, Haskell Wexler's Medium Cool. Robert mm. Forster stars. I know Robert Forster from uh, Jackie Brown and. Breaking Bad, it, you know, it's kind of his resurgence, but this guy was his initial breakout. Um, quick premise: TV news reporter finds himself becoming personally involved in the violence that erupts around the 1968 Democratic National Convention. I'm always hearing about the 1968 Democratic National Convention, but I feel like I've never really read into it that much or, or, or seen that had that much exposure to it. So I think it'd be cool to kind of see that kind of tumultuous uh, time. And this sounds like uh, it's kind of cinema verite style. Um, so I'm really in- intrigued by how it's shot. Uh, Haskell Wexler, I don't know if I mentioned, is famous for being a cinematographer. So he was also mm-hmm. the cinematographer on this film. Of course, he's a cinematographer, what, uh, The Days of Heaven, um, In the Heat of the Night, Virginia Woolf. Yeah, I remember Colin watching this and me being like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually owned the Criterion DVD, but I sold it. That's a bad sign if it wasn't even worth keeping, <laughs> but it is a debut film, so that's yeah. why it's on the list. It's interesting. It's just I would never watch it again. <laughs> Another bad 
<laughs> it's gonna be boring. Sorry, that's fine. Um, but it was definitely like I think we had watched Days of Heaven maybe like the night before or something, and we watched mm-hmm. the Criterion making of attached to that, and he was just talking about how great it was making medium cool. So Colin's like, I gotta watch it. Uh, w- one more thing that I feel like I should mention. Uh, Third Billing um, is an actor I mostly know from being a director for TV. I think he did a Police Academy movie. And his, I can't believe his actual name is Peter Boners. <laughs> I tweeted about this guy once. I'm like, this is this guy's actual name. It's got ends of the Z, Peter Boners. His name's Penis Boner. Boners Z. Man, that's gotta be rough. But he's had a successful career as a, as a, as a, as a director and an actor. So, you know, and he didn't change his name. So I have mad respect for Peter Boners. <laughs> uh, okay, me again, I guess. My pick uh, is a movie I bought on uh, non-Criterion, but it was in the Criterion Collection, so it counts. It's yeah. John Woo's 1989 film, The Killer. Cool. Uh, a movie that was inspired by something I already watched for inspired a Criterion month. Guns. Well, yeah, by guns. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, he said that with such confidence. <laughs> like he'd actually been inspired by guns. Okay, go. <laughs> he was inspired by uh, Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Samurai uh, when making this. Um, so he wanted to make a movie about honor and friendship and the relationship between people that are opposites. Um, I guess Mean Streets is also an influence on this film. And um, I've liked the few John Woo movies I've seen, which I think is just hard-boiled and Face Off and Mission Impossible 2. I didn't like Mission Impossible 2 that much, but it is kind of iconic. Like, there are some moments in Mission Impossible 2 that I really like thinking about. Yeah, like him throwing... Like, okay, so he climbs... He free solos a cliff. Yeah. A guy with in a suit flies up in a helicopter, shoots a rocket at him. The rocket opens up in its sunglasses. He puts it on, he gets the mission, and he throws the sunglasses into the camera, and they explode into the theme song it's a rocket that has sunglasses in it it's a rocket that just embeds itself in the ground and opens up and there's sunglasses inside because that's the most efficient way to secretly give him the mission he's on (laughs) to fly a helicopter i just imagine them getting sunglasses and having a little parachute and dropping it down like really slowly and then he tries to reach in the breeze just kind of knocks it away I guess a rocket would be the best way to deliver sunglasses if someone's free soloing on the side of the mountain. <laughs> There's also a uh, motorcycle jousting scene at the end of that movie. Oh, sweet. Anyway, uh, you know, I like kung fu movies. I like slow motion shooting guns and doves flying in the air and stuff. I like Hong Kong doves movies. Like, why are there doves flying in the air? <laughs> That's such an interesting image. They're so innocent. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that so many times now that you mentioned that. It's something I've never thought about. Mm-hmm. It's definitely in Face Off. I think it's in Hard Boiled, too. Dubs. It just seems like it's in every movie that has slow motion gunfighting. <laughs> also, I'm checking out John Woo's Wikipedia page, and he says his three biggest influences are Lawrence of Arabia, Seven Samurai, and Less Samurai. So. And you, didn't you do Le Samurai a previous year? I did Le Samurai a previous That's year. That's pretty cool. And I'm doing a David Lean film this Continuing year. Continuing the legacy. Yeah. But then he was also inspired by guns. 
Yeah, just by guns in general. It's like, have you seen guns? So cool. I like to imagine in the script, he just writes, bang, 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 boom, boom, pow, pow, pow. He writes every single gunshot noise. But, you know, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> uh, anyway, Colin, can you get your next pick match these high-flying thrills? Uh, probably not. I... <laughs> Next, I hate doing my picks now. I'm realizing because it's just like oh, no one's heard of that movie. And then, like, I'm excited to hear your guys' picks because they're movies I probably I'm have seen. To, to learn about a movie I don't know about. All yeah. right, okay. This movie is from 1983. It's called El Norte, uh, filmed from Guatemala. Uh, uh, you know, again, trying to do countries that I've never seen movies from before. I think I first heard about it. I was watching some like retrospective, uh, like of Siskel and Ebert talking about their favorite movies of the '80s, and this was one Roger Ebert uh, brought up. He's a big fan. I don't know. I just heard the uh, kind of synopsis for this movie, and I was like, "Well, that sounds very timely." Uh, or just the first sentence of uh, the criteria description is brother and sister Enrique and Rosa flee persecution at home in Guatemala and journey north through Mexico and on to the United States with the dream of starting a new life, which, you know, <laughs> I think we're in need of seeing this kind of story these days since uh, refugees are vilified by the worst people in America right now. Uh, I'm intrigued by the fact that it says it uses kind of a magical realism approach to the film because it sounds like a movie like this would be like, you know, gritty documentary and super depressing, (laughs) but it sounds like there's like a hint of of whimsy in it. And that sounds interesting. El Norte. I see this picture is partly funded by PBS. How does that work? If they're a nonprofit organization, we're always giving them money. We're giving them money so they can pay for other shit. Clearly, I don't understand how this works. Uh, I'm not equipped to answer that question. Sorry. It's probably a very simple answer. Yeah. But I'm going to pretend like it's a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me see. I always like to look at that Criterion cover, too. It's good Have you ever one. like just seen a cover and you're like, I got to watch this just because of the cover? <laughs> like, Sean, when you got that, that Tokyo Drifter movie, did you know about it or was it that cover a big selling That cover. cover. <laughs> it was an excellent cover. I feel like it was yeah. you saying, Sean, look at how cool the cover is to that. You should buy this. <laughs> and then we watched it. Mm-hmm. It was all right. It was a, it's a great cover, though. Great cover. <laughs> I like his mood. We should do a year where we only pick stuff based off how good the cover is. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely what made um, Come and See stand out to me. Uh, yeah, I've seen that. Uh, actually, I don't know if the criteria I was looking at was the right one, but I assume it was. It's the guy. It's like head, and it's like colorful, and there's like a. So that is the criterion because that's another one, but it must have been a fan one. Okay. Or something. But the purple uh, thing, that yeah, I've always been like, what the fuck is that? Okay. Uh, Colin, did you mention that Roger Ebert called it the grapes of wrath of our time? No, I didn't, but I did mention that he likes it. For our time, yeah. our time, nineteen eighty three. You already said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah. Had to be reminded. I, I sure did. Uh, okay, my next movie is another sub in. It's funny because it's by um, a director who's come up on this on Criterion Month a couple times, and I feel like we're always like kind of giving him a hard time, <laughs> but we keep picking his movies. <laughs> And it's the first Tarkovsky movie. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we're always like, because like it seems like he is, 
he has like this mindset where he's like, like you were saying last year, John. I was like, movies should be boring. Like, yeah, like, 180 minutes long. Like, he sounds kind of like stuffy, kind of like a jerk. Um, but I really liked Soccer last year, and this one isn't ridiculously long. It's only like 80 minutes. Ivan's childhood. Uh, in World War II, 12 year old Soviet orphan Ivan Bondarev works for the Soviet Army as a scout behind the German lines and strikes a friendship with three sympathetic Soviet officers. Uh, just real cool, stark black and white. Um, cinematography, early 60s movie. Really don't know anything about it. Um, there's some really cool shots, though. A lot of strong silhouettes when I'm, when I'm looking this up. In particular, this kid standing outside of like what looks like a demolished barn. That's just got all these boards like jutting off into different, um, you know, areas. And guys, uh, so has uh, has Russia just always been demolished? Is there a time where, like, I guess World War Two? I, I don't know. It just I feel like every not that I've seen many every Soviet movie I've seen everything is just in ruins. So, oh my god! Is this the first movie from the sixties we've included this year? That's well, I did do. I had oh, cool. meet him cool, okay. but I'm. I, I, I don't know if this is controversial. I'm thinking 69. at the end I might want to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to even be bored, and I don't like where that conversation went. But we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully, Ivan's childhood. It can't be that boring. It's only like eighty something minutes. Easy. I can do that. Is that is that why you picked it? You were just like, what was Tarkovsky doing? And you saw that his first movie. I think I was just looking. I think there is a part of the Criterion page where you can look up first time films, and I saw it on there. I was like, oh, it's a Tarkovsky film. And then when I saw that it was only like you know eighty ninety minutes or whatever, I was like, yeah, let's do it. That's easy. But I, it was a backup. But now it's coming up. Now you committed to it. Now you love it. That's your life. <laughs> Just like me and the random thing I grabbed out of Colin's Blu-ray collection, <laughs> Charade. It's a Stanley Donnan production in this comedic thriller. He died recently. Yeah, rightfully so You're paying tribute. Good job. A trio of crooks relentlessly pursue a young American played by Aubrey Hepburn in Gorgeous Gavinci. Mm. Through Paris in an attempt. Is that a place? Uh, I guess. Or close? <laughs> Through Paris in an attempt to recover the fortune her dead husband stole from them. The only person she can trust is Cary Grant's suave, mysterious stranger. Director Stanley Donan goes deliciously dark for Charade, a glittering emblem of 60s style and macabre wit. You like that wit, Sean? Yeah, like wit. Delicious. So much wit. I mean, I, I figure like with, with Metropolitan, they had to write the word wit because the guy's name is wit, but they didn't have to do that with Charade. Yeah. Well, they did it anyway. Now, I feel like that's the movie where people are always forgetting it's not a Hitchcock movie or something it's, like it's that. It's very Hitchcock-y. Yeah. <laughs> it's very North by Northwest. I mean, it stars yeah, I mean, Gary Grant. The poster looks like North by Northwest. Yeah. I wonder if it had any... Who else worked on it? I'm, honest, I'm wondering. I'm so, screenplay by Peter Stone. Peter Stone. I, no, I mean, it also has a very like early James Bond vibe, too, because I guess the early James Bond is kind of just a ripoff of North by Northwest stylist. Well, I see they got Henry Mancini, who did a lot of oh, yeah. kind of sneaky music. Sneaky. <laughs> like Big Panther and uh, the, the Peter Gunn theme. Do, 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 do. Glad we've come out as pro sneaky on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Sneaky, definitely. This is definitely one that I've um, 
wanted to see too. So. Ooh, the tagline is "You can expect the unexpected when they play charade." Ooh. Oh my god. Uh, okay, so my next movie—you'll <laughs> at least know the director. It's a, a Agnes Varda movie mm-hmm. called Le Bon Hier. I don't know if I pronounced it right. Le Bon Hier. I don't know. But it's, uh, I believe it's pronounced Peter Boners. Oh, yeah, it's uh, Le Boners. Is <laughs> the American pronunciation. Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to see another one of her movies since uh, I watched a movie of hers last year's Vagmond, which I really loved, and, you know, she passed away uh, just like a month ago. And uh, I've, I've liked everything I've seen of hers, which has not been much, but... Uh, she seems pretty great. I don't know what the deal with this movie is. It sounds like it's just a guy like having an affair, which doesn't seem like it should be that big a deal because it's France. But, you know, everybody's got morals. <laughs> Even the French. Hey, man. Let's be nice. They yeah. Whole I'm, just, I'm just joking. They're, they're, they're in a, they're in a, <laughs> not a great spot now. Sad week for France. Getting more of that left back bullshit. Yeah. My next film is yeah. also French. What? It's And God Created Woman. This is directed by Roger Vadim, who's most famous for this, and Barbarella. So erotic mm. dramas and whatnot. But this was kind of the um, what launched Bridget Bardot. Who it seems like everywhere I go, like IMDb, it's described as like sex pot, Bridget Bardot. On Wikipedia, sex kitten, Bridget Bardot. Sex kitten. So this just sounds like like the sexiest movie. <laughs> I first read about this in a book called Profoundly Disturbing, which was a Joe Bob Briggs book <laughs> about movies that were super controversial and they came out like it all. He also wrote about the '90s crash and um, Deep Throat and like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But this, I think, was like the earliest. Um, why is Deep Throat talked about like it's a movie? It's just porn, right? <laughs> but yeah, but it was like it was it was all basically wide release. Like you go see it in like in a normal theater. Why? Because it's like classic porn. <laughs> it was like porn for the you know for the everyday uh, family. <laughs> oh, well, that sounds nice. That sounds lovely. <laughs> it just it got a lot of attention for porn. Film, which is pretty surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how explicit this movie really is, but it sounds like it was um, a big deal. Like they they edited the shit out of it when it came over to America. <laughs> and I think the plot is basically just um, Bridget Bardot is like with one brother, and then, but then marries the other brother, and there's like some sort of oh, triangle the thing. Old switcheroo. The old <laughs> working title switcheroo. <laughs> uh, I don't really know much about Roger Vadim. I know that he had an affair with Bridget Bardot making this movie. Or they got they got married, but like he left his wife, but then Bridget Bardot slept with the actor who she's playing opposite in this movie. There's just there's affairs everywhere all over this movie. <laughs> it's about affairs and affairs going on. They should have just called it like sex pot. Nice, four twenty. Probably couldn't have called it that though, and uh in 1956 but I think I'm mainly interested because I really like that book and I want to watch all the movies that were in that book so I'm like oh if it's worth writing about then it must be of some note and some interest here 
I almost picked a Bridget Bardot movie earlier, but I didn't have the the courage to go through with it. You ever hear of La Verite? It sounds familiar. Well, also, like, Bridget Bardot in recent years is kind of a controversial figure because I feel like she's spoken out about, like, you know, certain kinds of immigrants that shouldn't be allowed in France. So she's kind of said some kind oh, of racist cool. stuff, which is too bad because she has done a lot of, like, activism for, like, animals and stuff. So it's it's sad for that stuff to come out now that she's a cranky old woman, I guess. <laughs> but I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully the movies have... At least interesting to write about. All right. So we're on to our last picks. Last pick. And John, I put this one off, assuming you wouldn't pick it, but just because it is a directorial debut. Probably. Uh, I don't think you're going to pick this one, though. <laughs> and you're definitely not now because I'm picking it. It's Lena Dunham's Tiny Furniture. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> I was well aware of that. And I was like, no. Um, it seems to be sort of in the vein of some of the other movies I've picked in that it sounds witty uh, <laughs> but especially Metropolitan because it's also I think she's playing a like recent college graduate who is not figuring out her life good um, and like kicking and screaming yeah <laughs> I didn't pick that one though so, so it doesn't care. as far as I know it doesn't exist yeah um, I know Lena Dunham has become a controversial figure for her stupidly outspoken ways, uh, and I don't know if she'll ever recover as a celebrity, um, but I liked Girls for a while, and I never hated it enough to stop watching, you know? Like, I thought it had a good ending. And I want to see the movie that Judd Apatow saw that was like, well, let's get this girl a show. Uh, I, I'm, I'm also just like super impressed with people that were able to make critically acclaimed movies in their mid-twenties. Like, that's nuts. I remember being in my mid-twenties and I couldn't do anything. So she must be pretty damn talented. And... Uh, I've seen every episode of Girls, so I should probably see Tiny Furniture, you know? <laughs> I remember I watched this before Girls came out, and in my memory, it's it's pretty similar to Girls. You know? uh, I, I think Leah Dunham even said, like, when they made Girls, they just kind of used the tone and template and style of Tiny Furniture to just apply it to a TV show, so it kind of made it easier to just have, like, a blueprint for the show, which I guess is probably yeah. why the show in its first seasons sounded, or felt, like, very fully formed and kind of, I don't know, it was never quite as good as the first season. Yeah, but. and they brought in some of the same people. Jemima Kirk and Alex Karpovsky are both in the movie. Yep. And there's two of the better actors on Girls, so... I'd like to see Alex Karpovsky in more things. He's a, he's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. <laughs> all right. So the moment you guys have all been waiting for. Here we go. Which Ozu movie am I going to do this yeah. year? 
I think my problem last year is, I mean, I love the Azubu VA watch, which is uh, late spring, but it was a little too similar to Tokyo Story, the movie I reviewed of Ozu's the year before. So this one, it sounds a little different. Uh, it's called Floating Weeds. It is a remake of a movie Ozu made in 1934, a silent film. This one's uh, 1959. I think I also just wanted to have a movie from the 50s. Uh, and it's in color, uh, unlike the other two Ozu movies. And uh, it sounds like it's just about like a troupe of actors which, uh, again, sounds like different subject matter than uh, Late Spring and Tokyo Story, which are just like old people and young people being like, man, the world is fucked up, man. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just like, I like those two movies a lot, but for some reason I can never force myself to watch Yes, Ozu Ozu-directed films when it's not Criterion Month. Oh, well. But this is my one for this year. This movie was released on my birthday in 1959. Wow. November 17th. Which is just one week after Shadows, that Cassavetes movie that John chose. Mm. Uh... My number 10 is weird because I have seen it and I think I have written about it, but not really extensively. And I feel like I really want to do a, a good job and just talk <laughs> about how much I love it. And I just want to do Night of the Living Dead. Mm. We have a signed poster of it in our living room calling on that really cool Criterion last Christmas. I really want to watch it. And like, so I feel like it's a perfect opportunity to watch it, watch all the special features, just give it a great review, just my thoughts and feelings. It's so rich with... Um, with themes it's uh, such a revolutionary film you know one of the first uh probably the first horror movie that ever started that stars a black actor um shot in that cool almost documentary cemetery style stark black and white uh, i think it's still scary it's still it's still creepy it it, uh, it created zombies it's it's just iconic and revolutionary for so many reasons and it'd be nice to have like I have a lot of movies from like the eight nineties and like late eighties, so it's nice to get a sixties one in there or something. Yeah, what's that list looking like? Am I doing the first like week or what? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna be. There? Um, it's not that bad. Colin yeah. right now does three in a row. With... Are those the first three? Yeah. Okay. Pandora's Box, My Man Godfrey, and then Rome, Open City. Okay. And one that I'm thinking of subbing in is another like late eighties or. These movie that's just like when people like when directors like started to come out it's definitely they, they didn't like have directors the most them. 80s we've ever had in one of these because mm. i'm thinking i got a couple options here but i'm thinking of subbing out medium cool for something that i feel like sean you were talking about just a couple of days ago house of games oh david mamet yeah his directorial debut i'm gonna do house of games instead it sounds fun cool i've seen that one too I, I think I would say it's better than Medium Cool. <laughs> if you were going to say, oh, I like Medium Cool better, I, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could have given you some suggestions if that happened. but uh... I have other ones. Yeah. Some of the other ones that I looked at, because I guess we can talk about movies we considered or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, some of them I've already seen. Bull Durham is a directorial debut. Um, Elevator to the Gallows. I think maybe Louis. Is that maybe a Louis Mall movie? Mm. Malanoche. Um, I think that's Van Zandt. Yeah. 
Three, Outlaw Samurai. Don't remember the director of that one. Um, Sanchiro Sagata, Kurosawa. And Hunger, Steve McQueen. We're all other considerations. So thank you for listening to this. Uh, now you know the movies we're going to be reviewing. So if it helps you to, to read about uh, movies you've seen, you have a chance now to see them and then read our reviews when they start coming out on July 1st. Um, I always forget what we do on July 31st. Hey, what, um, what film do we have for July 4th? I always, that's always intriguing. Uh, right now, <laughs> our movie for the 4th of July is my review of brief encounter <laughs> <laughs> we've never had something that feels right for july 4th yeah um it's sandwiched between rome open city and aparagito so i don't even think shifting anything it's around just, helps that I, I mean, just the odds are not great because we're mostly reviewing foreign films especially early on when we're talking about movies from the like the 40s and earlier mm. our first year it was tokyo story <laughs> Which I don't think is an American movie. Yeah. But I'll have to double check that. And the after that, it was Woman of the Year. It is an American movie. Fucking patriotic is what it is. Yep. It's like this podcast. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't think we need to talk about anything else. Any other missed opportunities or whatever. Um, so you know the score. You've got the time. Now the question is, are you a bad enough dude to watch these 30 serious-ass, foreign, silent, uh, or just bummer films <laughs> that we have sold out? Yeah, you got to watch the most devastating movie I have to watch the most devastating movie ever. of all time. If I can do that, you can watch it as well, right? I'm not that much tougher than you. I am a little bit, though. I'm like, let's be real. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can find our posts on mildlyplease.com. You can find more podcasts like this on iTunes if you search for the words mildly and pleased in that specific order. And until the next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>